Atlanta. Recording this is the first thing we've recorded uh, since we've been here. Um, we're here for the Southern Fried Game Room Expo 2016, of course. And we're here with Scott Schreiber. Is it Schreiber? Schreiber. 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 Okay. Schreiber, Schroeder, Schrilling, Schneider. I get it all, man. We're cool. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I go by Lyle, so everybody, I get the Kyle thing fucking yeah. constantly. But um, he's with Retro Gaming Ground Up. He's been fortunate enough to bless us with some time to talk about something that uh, we've been related to in the past. Something yeah. I enjoyed your coverage of. Yep. Really? Well, we awesome. appreciate it. Yeah. We, um, listeners, you may you may remember uh, we did a interview with Mike Kennedy earlier. Well, yeah, it was earlier last year, wasn't yeah. it? It's yeah, it's been be- about a year it was before now. the Southern Fried yeah. Game Room of last year. Okay, so it was earlier in the year. We done that when that was still the uh, retro, retro VGS, <laughs> and uh, we we kept up. You know, if you're familiar, we kept up with the whole thing the whole way through it. And uh, now I will readily admit that we were, we were, we were Mike's were corner for most yeah. of the time, and I'll fully admit we were we 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 bit it. You know, full hook and sinker, and yeah, and we, we did for years. You know, uh, and, and and you know, like we were talking about earlier uh, uh, there. Um, it's it was interesting watching from knowing the inside baseball, watching other people's opinions evolve, and there were so many that stood out. Like you know, uh, you know, Pat and Ian oversee a podcast. Um, you know, uh, you guys and Picky Old Gamer, who I, I admitted I told like I've attributed stuff you guys said to him and stuff he said to you guys because you know it's like you know when you're listening to the, it, there's a certain commonality there, and I think yeah, a quality as well, might I say. Um, but there was other folks and I I always attribute this. I always say, well, Justin Bieber is famous. And when people that speculate and now all of us are engaged in speculation, uh, well, every, most everybody else, but you know, when people speculate on this stuff, some take it even strain, even if they're wrong, they're thinking it through. And as new evidence presents itself, they come around and some of these other shows were just rambling off pure speculation. that was one wrong. And two was never corrected, and like I don't want to throw any one person under the bus, but some of these you know YouTube channels where like there's just a gameplay in the background, somebody's babbling, yeah. just guessing everything's wrong that they said, nothing's right, but they have 150 thousand views, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and then we go out there, we do a good podcast, we get 30 thousand downloads, and we just talked with the guys that actually did it, and we knew about it, and it's kind of frustrating, but then again. <laughs> Quality doesn't always bring the biggest numbers. Justin yeah. Bieber is famous. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, it's the old McDonald's argument. You know, popularity does not equal quality by any means. No, no yeah. sir. And we actually use that because there was a discussion where we put up an interview uh, related to this topic with Ely at Pico Interactive, right? Yeah. And now it's all the details. When you start taking all the details and the devil's in the details and you compare one set of details to the other details, you start to form the picture from the mosaic, Right. And he uh, 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 gave a lot of details about his phone calls and interactions. And uh, Mike threatened him. He said, hey, you're still under NDA. He goes, man, no, you're a wacko, the healthy, right? And, and he went public, even though he had signed NDA. Because yeah. NDA was invalidated the moment. It was all crooked. But yeah. Uh, so um, I remember I, I, we posted, hey, we just talked to uh, Ely for two hours and 15 minutes. And he gave all this amount of details. And this person on Target H posted, oh, too long for me. I can put up with that. It's like, oh yeah, why would you get the actual facts from the guy involved? Why don't you go to YouTube and hear him talking yeah, and talking about 15 minutes get it wrong? Yeah. So, ugh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I saw a lot of people on Facebook, they kind of got things right, but they had zero facts to back it up. So I was like, oh, that, that's just bullshit. Because I see that all it's the time. taking hearsay and just spiraling that shit like way out of control, mm-hmm. a lot of it, too. So I've looked at some of the Facebook threads, just like on random little you know gaming group pages. Talking about that and just it, it'd be one thing, and people are just spouting out all this shit that I'm like, you know, where'd you get this information from? They're well, like, well, this I, is I'm sitting there the here. whole time. I'm like, no, dude, that's not what happened. I was there. And the other crazy thing is, I, I saw this one. Uh, I, I don't know how this happened. I, it was a head scratcher, and our back channel information told us that even Kennedy was a head scratcher's head about this one. One of his editors at Retro Magazine, David Gilton or Gatillion, wherever it was. 
he was like one of the first ones to start jump as everyone was jumping off Retro Magazine. Yeah, yeah. He sent out a tweet. Basically, he sent out a tweet and a message. He used Retro's own distribution network to send out the message he was quitting. And somehow the headline became David Giltonen leaves Retro Magazine, Retro VGS, Clico Command collapses. I'm like, how is that the headline? <laughs> What is, yeah, and, yeah. I heard even Kennedy was exasperated over that. And hell, all all, all the headlines are solved. Clicko's coming back with a new console. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 no such thing. Someone's just using the name. <laughs> and again, let me tell you, uh, from the inside baseball, uh, Coleco and Chris Cardillo, who was the sort of project manager for that thing, their only fault in this is they didn't do sufficient due diligence. And really dig into this and ask the hard questions because they didn't have experience doing that. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have the technical experience. In fact, I asked Chris, I said, Chris, when all this stuff surfaced, why didn't you march up with a screwdriver and say, open that now? And he, he was very honest, very forthcoming. He said, well, you know what? One, I wouldn't know what I was looking at. And I, I, I don't know how to hook up my own stereo. And I would have not had any clue what it was. And secondly, what if I was wrong and I just accused a business partner of fraud in public? And I thought, yeah. you know what? I can't fault you for that. And um, he, he was a gentleman about this. He handled it, I think, very responsibly. When he realized that those two prototypes, the, the last two fake prototypes, yeah. were fake, um, he, didn't, he didn't have to go public, but he did. He did the responsible thing. He put it out there and said, look. You have to submit these for inspection, and they better be what you said they were, the same thing that you showed, and they better work as you as you advertised. And when that wasn't delivered, he publicly said, "Okay, we're terminating a relationship. We don't feel they have anything developed." And that was that was a tough move, you know, to publicly do that. But there are a lot of tough moves to go public in this. Um, again, for Chris, it was yeah, okay. Our reputation is getting unfairly damaged by our association, so I'm just going to step up and admit how it happened, and I think people understand, and they did. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because do any of us, even though we call the Coleco community to this day, do we blame Coleco? No. No. And they're serious about bringing out a good product. They are nice guys, and they mean well. Uh, they were just too trusting, and, and now that they've been through the boxing ring, <laughs> they're going to do things a little bit differently. Yeah. But again, really super people. If you ever get uh, Chris Cardell on your podcast... He's a great guy to talk to, and 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 just first class gentleman, very honest, you know. And I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna do well, you know. And one of the most offensive things out of the whole, one of the Mike Kennedy walls of text that was posted is when he said, "I am the only person, me, who lost anything at all." It's like you could have cost Chris Cardillo his job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a lot of shit on the line when, you know, with all of that. Made Pico Interactive look foolish. Yep. Made yep. Uh, 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 Game Straight One look foolish. Uh, you know, damaged perhaps the ability of somebody else to launch a product in the industry. Um, you know, the owners of Game Gavel, from which he removed the original assets, were damaged. Yep. A lot of folks were damaged in a lot of ways. Retro Magazine as a whole. I mean, um, anything he yeah. was associated with took a hit. Yeah. I mean, even, even though we're small fish, because we were in his corner, we look like idiots. Yeah, and well, I'm not afraid to say I'm, I was an idiot, because we all can be. We were kind of oblivious about the whole thing at that yeah. point in time, because and you, you weren't know, there. looking back, it, yeah, mm-hmm. like it was yeah. one of those things at the beginning, it's like, this is possibly too good to be true, you know, but, um, and that, of course, that's the way it turned out, but. You know what Chris Cardillo told me? He said, you know, I just feel... And I don't, I, I don't want to misquote him because, you know, but the gist of what he said was, I, I just feel like a fool, you know. And I, and I said, Chris, don't feel bad. I gave this guy money. <laughs> and now, now, if you go and read, like, the Atari Forum, one of Mike's dishes at us was he refers to me as a small minority shareholder for a minimum amount of money that doesn't matter. <laughs> that can also be fair, paraphrased, I might add, as the only person other than immediate family that gave him money for his business and bought shares. Oh man! So is that how you repay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's messed up. But you know, if I can uh, give you guys a little bit of a, a back picture of why you could get fooled, right? One, Mike is he's a good salesman. Yeah, he knows he's charismatic. How, he is, and he knows how to make you believe that he really has a passion for something. And he, he, he's the kind of guy that psychologically puts his arm around his shoulder and goes, man, it's me and you. We're going to do this thing, and, and we're, it, it, it's us against the world. We're going to make this thing succeed. And, I, and he, um, you know, and then later on you find out that it's 
not quite that way, but um, there was a humanity to Mike. And I think no, not many people have touched on this because they didn't know him. And, and if I'm speaking like somebody that is no longer with us, it's because I honestly feel like I am. You know, um, We knew this man for years. I mean, he was a founding member of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Before that, I dealt with him on another show. We knew each other for years. And uh, there was, he was sort of a goofball, you know, and, and, and there was a great, like I said, great kind humanity about him where I remember the two things I can sort of tell you that would explain how you would love a guy like that, you know, as a friend and like a brother. And it kind of reminds me, like I was talking about the Goodfellas scene where they were talking about, you know, well, we only ever vacation together. We went to the islands together, Vegas. Together. Yeah. That was us. I mean, we were, yeah. you know, they, we, they had been guests in my home. I've been guests in their home. And this is like an intimate family kind of relationship, you know? And, um, so we were, uh, uh, you know, one of our third host, uh, founding host, UK Mike, who is still, you know, he's basically, it's he and I are the two that run it. We have got two associates that contribute. So um, we were doing CGE 2012. It runs together over the years. Yeah. And um, so we didn't tell SoCal Mike that UK Mike was coming over for the expo. And he had never met UK Mike in person. I pop over to England. We do expos over there as much as we do expos over here. It's a great, great thing to do. And uh, so we didn't tell SoCal Mike. So <clears throat> even his wife was in on it. And this is the only public mention I'll ever make of his wife. We leave family out of this stuff. But, um, you know, she knew that UK Mike was coming. Everybody knew UK Mike was coming, but SoCal. And... <laughs> um, so we brought in, you know, I picked him up at the airport. We came, so Kyle's already at the hotel. We came back. Now, Mike goes into the hotel, like, just like this. Mike goes to the bathroom, drops trowel, sits on the uh, toilet, and we already set up, like, three camera shoot, right? <laughs> and I called up uh, SoCal Mike. I said, hey, man, come upstairs. we got to download, load all the stuff down the expo floor. All right, no problem. So Mike comes upstairs, and I said, hey, grab the black camera bag out of the bathroom. Okay. And he goes in there, and people are picking stuff up, and all of a sudden, like a hammer, phones all come out. We did like a, like a six camera shoot at this moment. And Mike opens up the bathroom door, and UK Mike sitting on the toilet, right? And he's seen UK Mike video pictures all the mm-hmm. time. And he slams the door, goes, "Good Lord, there's a man in there." It looked like UK Mike, and then did nothing with that information. So, <laughs> um, he's like, who is that in there? I was like, I don't know, man. Maybe just like we brought you a male stripper or something, you know? Because now some dude's sitting on the toilet. And Trish goes over and knocks on the door, hello, and starts to open the door. She's like, and Mike's like, close the door, there's a man in there. And finally, I was like, we well, should go find out who it is, right? And s- slowly, SoCal Mike goes over there and opens the door to the toilet. And as you came, Mike's sitting there, and he goes, give me a big hug, man, give big, big, because this is somebody we've talked to for years. And yeah. Give big, big, so he's sitting on the toilet giving him a big bear hug, right? <laughs> and uh, so the next year, we're up at Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Mm-hmm. And we, again, didn't tell SoCal Mike, the UK Mike flew in. So we're, uh, Mike's driving up from the south, and he's going to meet us at the Woodmere Brewing Company, right? So, uh, you know, I'm sitting there, and, of course, UK Mike's with me. We go over and we talk to the manager and say, hey, can we dress up one of our guys, like one of your waiters? We want to pull this prank. And so he got, he's borrowed his girlfriend's glasses, and he's wearing women's glasses. Oh, this is like Halloween time. A woman's like Halloween wig, and he puts this costume on with the, the apron, and the bartender goes, "You look like a typical Portland male." So, <laughs> um, well, again, we set up a multi-camera shoot, right? And we got these videos up. If RetroMarino.com media videos, you can see this stuff actually happen. And uh, so, SoCal Mike it comes in, he says, "Good Lord, what a drive up, man!" I'm like, yeah. And it's, at this point, like we're dear friends, you know, nothing had gone yeah. down yet. And uh, I said, yeah, man, well, hey, I was just about to order a beer. He went, oh, yeah, right? So UK Mike walks up, and normally I can handle anything. I'm already starting to lose my shit. I'm, like, digging, biting through. I made, like, a loop of skin. But as I was biting <laughs> through my lip, trying to hold my act together, and Mike walks up, how y'all doing today? Well, can I start y'all for the drink? And SoCal's like, yeah, yeah. And anyone who's ever heard SoCal Mike knows this. Tell him, and he goes, uh, can I get the uh, the wheat beer? And UK Mike's like, yeah, you know, we make that right here on the premises. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we can get it down in California, but like, you know, it, it's really cool to come up here and get it in person and all. 
And he's like taking orders and following Mike's UK Mike's friend like stuff to say like how is it when is this guy gonna pick up that it's me right so finally he just goes it's me Michael in his English <laughs> accent and SoCal just he leans over takes out his phone calls his wife yeah they got me again he was a waiter this time <laughs> <laughs> but you see that there's a warmth of humanity yeah. you know yeah so as like he called me up one time and he said hey man i got some really cool ideas i think i can take the game gavel company forward and go a new direction and and you know but i just need some some more funding to this and I said, all right look man how much do you need and what do you try and do with it and he explained it to me i said all right i'll send you a check so i bought a portion of the company and uh, I didn't even worry about the contract because it wasn't about that it was about like how can I help my help friends the friend. yeah. Yeah. yeah and he had some good ideas he really did um, they didn't work out the industry didn't bite but I don't fault him for that because I think his ideas were valid you know yeah that's um, why we got behind it because absolutely yeah. now this was pre-console this is pre-magazine yeah. right oh, okay um, <clears throat> so he was trying to take the auction site big now that was all legit um, the magazine is where things got really screwy. Um, and then, of course, the console thing. Oh, man. I mean, you know, what do you guys want to talk about? You know, but I just want to give you a little backstory of how yeah. you, the, I mean, when I say you, the general public, I mean, your listeners, people like yourself, podcasters yep. who just didn't know the inside baseball of how if, if, you know, people that knew him for years thought of the guy that they knew and loved as a friend, you know. We didn't think differently. So how could anybody who didn't know him think differently? So to anybody out there that felt like, oh, we got suckered and he tricked he tricked everybody, you know? Yeah. Hey, that's something else. That he, he, like, I've known him since kindergarten. That's almost like me just stabbing him in the back over something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely strange. Um, that's one thing, though, we did wanted to talk about was sure. kind of like a – the side that people didn't get to see because you know like we talked told you last night we're we're still very limited on of course what we knew so anything that you'd like to enlighten us on that we're able to talk about that would be just the i don't know just what was some like maybe some of the signs that y'all were clued in to beforehand you know when did it start getting really fishy you know, so there was something that I should have put more thought into. Um, E3, we were out there exhibiting, and uh, you know, we were just to sort of comment of like, why is a podcast there? And what we do. We, um, one of my favorite bands is Kiss, mm-hmm. and I remember this great story. I don't know if it's true or not, but Gene Simmons was saying, you know, we decided we were never going to be uh, a second car band. We we're going to be headliners. We show up, you know, we pull up in a limo, we play our first show and, you know, all that. And, and we never were small and just brought the world around to our way of thinking. That's how you approach our podcast is we, you know, first expo that we exhibited at, we got a booth. We didn't, you know, walk around. We didn't set up. We got a booth and we set up mics and we brought people into the booth. We did interviews in front of people. We, you know, we just cranked it up to 11, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so we were out at E3 and, uh we were in the car, and, and, and any of the guys that – I don't know if you li- remembered it or any of your listeners. There was an interview done with Steve Tom Sawyer. I didn't hear that one. Listen to the interview. Um, everything he says is true. So I was in the car with Mike and Steve, and we're driving all over L.A. and everything. And uh, we went to uh, Umami Burger and had an amazing burger if you're ever in L.A. And um, – they're b- 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 back and forth on this idea of a magazine, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's, you know, kind of two guys that had never done publishing, didn't really know much about it, but had some ideas. And they were like partners. I mean, it's we're going to go out there and create this thing, right? And then um, the Kickstarter comes around, and all of a sudden, Steve just stopped getting calls, just stopped getting emails, just was all of a sudden, Mike's doing a Kickstarter with a magazine, their magazine. No shit. Yeah, and wow. uh, the people that were brought in to replace him were never told about his role. It was presented as an original idea. So, and 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 Steve Sawyer, he may be many things, but he's not a liar. He's a weirdo, and I'd say that if he was sitting here, because he is, but he also has some like impulse issues where he actually made death threats against Mike. But huh. if you think about it, 
Mike stole the project I co-developed, right? Yeah. yeah. So he was mad. Now, he took it to an unacceptable response that, you know, I mean, the police were at Mike's house. They were, you know, concerned about his safety at E3 because someone made death threats. Yeah. You know? and, but, yeah, he was mad because all of a sudden this guy's kickstarting his project that he's just dropped from, right? Uh. I should have made more, paid more attention to the dynamics of that. And one thing that happens in the sort of the aftermath of one of these projects is the people that were involved get denigrated. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you know, they didn't really contribute or, oh, you know, they wrote a couple articles, but it wasn't really important. And I, I should have paid more attention to that. I didn't, no. And um, so that was like maybe the first, hey, something's wrong here. You know? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting at work one day and I'll try and keep this more brief. <laughs> that's, I tend to, that's fine. Um, that's I'm sitting at work one day, I get a phone call. And it's Mike. And he says, hey, man, because uh, I'm an engineer and Mike knows that. He's known me for, you know, forever, so he knows my skills and, and, and what I work in. Yeah. And um, he, he says, I got two questions for you. Do you think there's a market for cartridge-based console? And, I, you know, like I told you guys yesterday, I said, well, you know, if, there was, if I walked into a store and there's a console, new games – and I don't have to worry about double thumb gaming, which I suck at. I'm the guy in the corner looking up at, you know, with my gun in the air. I can't do it. So, you know, if it went back to joystick and button and there was no Call of Duty kids and yeah. no service to go offline, mm-hmm. I'm in. But how many of me are there? I don't yeah. think there'd be a mass market. There's definitely not, no. And I think that's unfortunate because it, it, that idea is actually cool enough, cool idea. And it was his organic idea. That was his idea. And... and because, you know, it would be just improper to take away what was really his. So, yes, that was his idea 100%. And so the second question was, well, how would you even go about building a console? I said, well, so first of all, you have to design, decide what software you're going to support. Like, you know, is it going to be an application, you know, multiple, like API with, that uses engines and all that? Or are you running code on the hardware with an OS or, you know, code that incorporates its own OS you know, close to the metal. And that brought about a later moment in which we were on a conference call and he says, hey, yeah, we want to run Unity close to the metal. And close to the metal mean obviously executing code directly yeah. on the hardware. Yeah. Unity, super API, it's like... Yeah. So, I would really like the hands-on feel of my self-driving car. <laughs> um, so, we, we, he asked me, how would you do something like that? So, I explained to him, that, you know, a, a retro console is really just a simple single-board computer. You've got CPU, you know, supporting clock, RAM, you know, video chipset, sound chipset, uh, some, you know, addressing hardware, I.O. hardware for the controllers, maybe a boot ROM, maybe not, you know, but it's not that big of a deal. It could be done. And, you know, what do you think it costs something, like, to do something like that? You know, 50000 or so. And um, I said, you know what I'd like to pull into this is, is uh, Kurt Vendel. He was the guy that designed the Atari Flashback 2. Mm-hmm. Real nice guy. And like engineers are sort of like musicians where like you kind of want to collaborate on a project because you like the way each other thinks. You know? yeah. I don't yeah. know Kurt forever. I was like, dude, we should do this, man. And Kurt was just too busy. Couldn't do it. You know, too many irons in the fire. So I said, all right, you know, we'll, I'll take the slow road. Because you, know? you know, Kurt has direct experience building a console. And no one does until they do it. Yeah. But, you know, obviously, I mean, there's no ego in saying, hey, we could work faster and better with a guy that's done it, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, no one's born with direct experience in anything. So, unfortunately, he couldn't. And um, so then the decision was made at the time, all right, we're going to sort of slow roll this. Uh, you know, we had a lot of meetings, which is a team. A group of people working towards a common purpose is like the literal definition of a team. Mm-hmm. So we had all these meetings, and I mean, all this stuff is documented, and you know, Skype call logs and stuff. And which later on, Mike regrettably said didn't happen. I'm like, dude, this is all documented, you know. So um, <laughs> we, you know, I had a great professor, Dr. Lester Field, who said, "An honest man never lies. A pragmatic man never lies about something that's easily verified." And <laughs> so I, I, I um, I, 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 the decision was made that I was going to work on the hardware, but they were going to stand up the studio first, start releasing some games, make a name, and then the hardware would come along. And so I was, I mean, and I never got honestly to the stage of like a, a big breaded out prototype. I mean, I was literally sitting there doing the basics of, you know, hardware selection, like, you know, what would play well with what, what's available. And I was working on something along the lines of a, a, a modern derivative of the PowerPC 
the idea was go to our Super Sega Genesis platform, yeah. right? So I'm sitting there working on this and, you know, sort of slow rolling the design because, you know, they haven't even started the studio yet and all that. And then one day we're doing, setting up to do our podcast and, you know, y'all you know, Skype in and you're like, all right, ready, okay. And you're yeah. just bantering before you record. Mm-hmm. And Mike, uh, SoCal Mike says, yeah, yeah. So I was uh, talking to my hardware guys and, and they think they can start working on a board next month. And I'm the record, Neil goes off the record. I'm like, Mike, um, remember you're standing up the studio. I'm taking the hardware route. And what are you talking about? Hardware guys. And he goes, huh, what? Do you know hardware? I'm what? like, oh boy, something's wrong. And I was like, you know what? This, I didn't know what to say at the time. So, uh, turns out that, uh, you know, I, and it's a very small community. I did a little talking around. I found out, oh, Sean Robinson and Clay Calgill are working on this thing. And I get in touch with them because, you know, we know each other, small community. And I'm like, you guys are working on this? Yeah. I was, I was working on that. And we're not, I mean, no bad blood, you know. Yeah. yeah. It was just kind of like, really? Because they were about to quit anyway. <laughs> and because uh, <clears throat> there was no plan. So it was kind of like, you know, wow, that was you? That was you? Oh, that's crazy, man. Hey, you know, laugh it off, whatever. And uh, so we go a little further. They walk off the project. And... That comes around full circle later. Mike posts on Atari Age, yeah, Clay Cowgill designed hardware until he had to regrettably bow out. Hey, Clay, what can you say about this, right? And Clay comes in there and says, yeah, so I told him it cost like 70 grand because the design had evolved at this point. Yeah. So it's going to be more expensive than the original concept. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it'll cost about 70 grand to build it. And he asked me, what can we do for smoke and mirrors? And he's like, well, I want nothing. There's no... No document design, no, no, no statement of work, no scope study, nothing. Just a lot of talk. And then, oh, he asked for smoke and mirrors. So Clay goes on target and says, yeah, he pretty much asked for smoke and mirrors. I said, yeah, I don't do that. I'm off the project, right? And uh, about a couple of posts later on Atari Age, Clay goes, well, geez, I guess Mike didn't like what I had to say because he just unfriended me on Facebook. <laughs> wow. I, I missed all of that because I, I lurk on Atari Age some, but I'm not like a really regular person yeah. on there. Um, that happens. Yeah. So that came full circle. So then he finds John Carlson and I, I'll say this. I don't know. As an engineer, you work from, now in small, you know, dev teams, you can wear multiple hats. You could be somehow, you know, business and engineering. Yeah. But ultimately you have things like design to time, design to standard, design to cost. You, look at the entire project and go, okay, it's going to take, this is what we want to support. This is what it will cost in hardware. This is how we're going to build it. Is this feasible? And management with the budgets and you know money on hand, it sort of drives, okay, we're going to do this. We're not going to do that. And because you let engineers run, we'll just keep going forever. So somebody has to go and go, no, this is the project. Finish what we told you to. Yeah. And that's needed. Well, none of that was in place. It was just, he'd read about a new feature and go out there and go, oh, this is what it's going to do. And also, oh, so let's say you say, oh, I'm going to put Bluetooth on my Sega Genesis. Well, the, the, the processing power required to operate all that that's on that tiny little blue chip, you know, yeah, Bluetooth yeah. chip, is greater than what was on the Genesis, you know. Yeah. So you can't just – hardware isn't Lego blocks. You just can't add Bluetooth to an existing Sega Genesis. The infrastructure isn't there. The bus isn't there. Yeah. The ability to push the data, I mean, the, 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 just the raw – it does not – you can't do it. So engineering an entirely new way around it. Exactly. So every time his mouth opened, the hardware platform was eviscerated and a new one came along. And Clay's like, yeah, I, you know, no way. So in, in Carlson's defense, he couldn't have built anything with the specs constantly changing, right? Yeah. So the infamous video comes out and Carlson was interviewed and he said, yeah, they told me to do that, you know. And it, that just didn't go well. First fake prototype. Okay, great. So Carlson's off the team. He has to go get a job and all that. So they go on, and as we all know, they got the Coleco license and all that. And the Toy Fair comes about. And we all know what happened there. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of – that was the the first thing, I think, where me and Brandon actually kind of were getting clued in on yeah. the whole – I mean – When I first re- saw the video, like we recorded while all this stuff was being said on Atari Age about what that was. So we didn't see it. While we were recording. So we came out in his defense because I saw a couple of people saying, well, it's probably an SNES in there. I'm like, why would he do that? What? 
Because I was, I'm thinking what the hell an SNES looks like. Well, see, we do stuff like he said it's a core FPGA running a custom core. There were teams of grad students that built somewhat partially working SNES cores after an entire like two semester project. Yeah, he didn't do it out of the blue in three months. Yeah, and yeah. I'm thinking because I know all the the back channel communications all. And the thing is, he just forgot how many people he had stepped on. And all those people, like all right, me and Clay and Sean, we're all chatting and stuff. And, and every person that got rolled is suddenly in, you know, the alumni of this thing. Yeah. And we're all communicating. So it's like he'll sit there and talk to somebody that he's already done something to that shares the information with the rest. of It's just it's chaos. Yeah. But um, it's that so, old wicked, wicked web we weave, you know, yeah, it very is. apropos. There. It is. And what's what's so funny is you go back and look at um, th- those moments, right? Where like you're like the, uh, the, the they say it's a snaz, and I'm like, he just got the contract, he just signed us River West, he just did this. This other guy just came back on board. He could not have developed a court stuff. This is insanity. And like, so we're just trying to you know sort of get the word out there. Go, no, this is crazy. So to hear people say, well, you know what? He showed up. He's got this thing there. And, and to know stuff like, I mean, here's the kind of stuff that we knew that was obvious to us. We, and this is all, the great thing about telling the truth is it's easily verified. Yeah. Um, we reviewed the SD to SNES cartridge that Stone Age Gamer sent us, right? Yeah. He knew what that cartridge was. So he's sitting there holding one. There's a video of him in the booth going, yeah, this is a custom cartridge that was developed for us that runs this, that, and the other, and it's SD to SNES, which was identified very clearly. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, yeah, Mike Kennedy knew what a SD to SNES was because, <clears throat> you know, here's the podcast where we reviewed it. And then um, uh, Stone Age Gamer comes in and says, oh, yeah, uh, I just checked on my records. Here's their order. They absolutely they absolutely got one from me and reviewed it. Wow. And so, I mean, how oh. verifiable is that? Yeah. Um, so to go there and say that, oh, this is a custom thing that was developed by our hardware guy? You just lied to everyone. <laughs> and got caught, you know? Yeah. So I'm sitting there, like, watching the video, because, you know, like, everybody else I was watching that morning. As, and when the first picture goes up, and I already knew what was going to the toy fair. That was painful. And the first picture goes up, and people go, Stas and Jag. I was like, okay, this is where things get fixed. And then there was question and debate. Now, I wasn't angry at people who concluded differently, but at the same time, I'm sitting there going, guys, no, the evidence is all there, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And but now that you guys have seen the thing, oh, I yeah. mean, oh, for, for the listeners that yeah. don't know, we actually got an up close look at a Coleco. Yeah, but we posted on the website. Yeah, we got some pictures that we're gonna. Yeah, now I I saw the original one in detail, and that is a one to one replica, no deviation of what was there. <laughs> and as you can see, you pick it up. There's there's no gray area. Well, yeah. there's a big gray area. It's called the back of SNES. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, uh, oh man, you know. Um, and then when that died down and it was like the haters and the, and, the, and, 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 and the people trying to ruin it and we're official and we're serious and we have a standing and, you know, and I felt so bad for Chris at that point, you know. And then when the DVR in the car came out, I'm like, mm. you know, a DVR capture car takes NTSC video chops it up into MPEG frames, and it's sent to be stored on a hard drive. That's all it does. Yeah. Is there anything about that functionality that is remotely useful in a video game? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, the whole thing sucks because I, I like the idea behind it. That's the main reason me and him got behind it because we're the type of people, you know, we're the boutique market. We're the yeah. ones who would go by it. And um, – it, nothing like this will probably ever happen now because people are going to be, be like, that's another Caligo Chameleon. It's well, not the retro enough, Things like that do exist. Um, Dirk Dudenbostel uh, has a system called the MCC 216, Multiple Classic Computer 216. It is an FPGA that boots up, loads a different core. It can be a Amiga 500, a Commodore 64, an Apple II, a couple of Atari flavors. It's a great little unit, right? Well, yeah. It so like it. it's already been done. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, and there's other like, you know, of course, Kevtris, who was, oh, Kevtris was a delight in all this because, you know, he knew what he knew. And, and he was contacted to be, you know, doing this or that and the other, uh, developing stuff. And so he gave his two cents and said, yeah, this was pure chaos, shifting sand, nothing could have been built, you know, and just 
decimated. You know, he, he really was harsh on this thing. And, uh, you know, Keftris is a field expert on FPGA emulation of arcade hardware and console hardware. And he was just devastating his assessment, you know. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's just so unfortunate. And when you look at all the different stories, right, let's talk about, you know, myself, let's talk about UK Mike, um, Clay Cowgill, Sean Robinson, um, Kevtris, uh, BTB, the Jaguar guy that was mm-hmm. at, pressured into doing the um, the campaign video without hardware and all that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. All these people, I could go on, they, they all have the same story. So what's the odds that that's the incorrect story and that the other story is true? Very yeah. slim, yeah, yeah. There's too much cooperation between all of them. Some people that knew each other, some people that never met, you know, telling the same story. And that's why when we interviewed, a great interview, two great interviews to go to is one that we did with BTB, we discussed with him, a landmark interview that so many people missed, and I don't know how they missed it, was when we did the pre-Indiegogo interview with Mike and his team. Now, I already found out that he created a second company and just all the molds, everything. He, he, he said, oh, this is always a different thing. All right, if the company that launched the thing didn't exist until 30 days before the Kickstarter and it was like a year and a half in development, how could it belong to that company? You know, it, it, yeah, yeah that, now that you that say that, yeah. Up. And now you go on Atari age, I posted links to the California entity numbers. All this, again, this all public records. You can go and look and see. Game Gamble, LSE, existed. This is when the Jag Molds were bought. Did this company exist? No, it existed. LLC. Game Gamble, LLC, right? And all the way up to, oh, Kickstarter time, new company. Stock gets transferred, sold, assigned. The molds just magically over here. All the intellectual property over there. And I was well off the project by the time that new company was created. But I was a co-owner of, as were other people, yeah. owned shares in the company that those assets belonged to. And, you know, that's not cool, right? Oh, no. So even if it's somehow legal, it sure as heck isn't ethical. So, yeah, you know, yeah, it was um, it was tough seeing all that come about and people going, oh, they, you know, they're launching this thing. And, uh, and we're like, oh, my God. So how do we do this? Because I didn't want to interview this guy because, I mean, what like in what world is he going to come on my podcast with his hardware guy and his team and we're going to fawn over them after what he did? Not in a million years. But I knew he was already kind of writing us out of the history of it. And believe me, like I said, no one wants to be associated with this. But there are two choices. Join the alumni of people that were used and tossed or speak out. So mm-hmm. joining that alumni was not acceptable to many of us. So we, we wouldn't join that alumni. So we had to speak out. Um, I did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, so... UK Mike and I talked extensively about this. We said, what do we do? What do we do? And he said, well, let's record it. And if we don't like it, we can just trash it. Or what if he talks about all our involvement, right? So I said, okay, great. Let's, we'll treat it like a deposition. And it was, the great thing is later on, SoCal made some comment like, well, I felt like we were being questioned and, and, and yeah, you were. <laughs> um, so, cause <laughs> you did course, what you did. Man, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the least that should happen, you know? Like, Pretty much. Shit. So Steve Oida, who again, um, Steve is a respected industry veteran. I like Steve. I will say nothing bad about Steve. Uh, I, I don't know all the inside baseball because I was out, you know, of, of that picture. Um, no, he was on the early conference calls. And, in fact, I feel terrible because I was on the phone with Steve. We were po- talking post-CGE. And I said, well, you know who really wants to stand up a studio and do a commercial venture is Mike Kennedy, my host. You know, Mike. Oh, yeah, I know Mike. I said, you know, I ought to get in touch with him. And, and, and so I kind of feel like horribly responsible for involving Steve. Well, you know, we kind of feel in the same way because, like I mentioned, we, we, uh, we interviewed Nathaniel Weiss of the creator of Songbreaker. Yeah. When, when we asked, when we just we were about to interview Mike right before then. I was like, we hey, did the analogy of like how a band 
wants to release their stuff on vinyl now how new developers would like to release their stuff on cartridge yeah right? we, he hadn't heard about the and retro vgs at put the time. him in hands with mike and then exactly so many connections after that yeah you know? so many connections he didn't put a whole lot into it but i know he made the you know the label cover for it and you ended up seeing that in the ad on the the retro magazine and there was even there was even a, a youtube video that somebody made like a fake unboxing of the coleco chameleon prototype silver silverman show or something yes and on back of the box, Songbringer was one of the previewed games. Like. I wanted that box so bad. I, I begged that. I said, come on, man, share the assets because I want to put my prototype into the box. Yeah. And he just didn't respond. And it was unfortunate because I thought that was brilliant. When yeah, I saw yeah. the unboxing video, I had a millisecond of doubt that, oh, my God, they got a box printed. It was so well done. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was wonderful. But, yeah, you know, we, uh, um, we did this interview, right? And... I literally just said like one thing to Steve. I said, hey, remember all the early dev work we did on this thing, concept development, all that? Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, yeah, man, we, we got together. And he starts laying out all the involvement we had. And I'm like, thanks, Steve. This made my job easy. I'll, I'll just sit back <laughs> and have a beer. And uh, so Steve, we'd, uh, and go listen to the interview. It was the uh, Indiegogo launch of the Retro VGS mm-hmm. where Steve details our entire the history of our involvement, that we were definitely a part of the creation of it. And Mike's sitting there going, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that call. And then later on, he goes, you know, these guys had no involvement. It's like, do you remember the interview you did where Steve details our involvement? That's all on the internet? (laughs) Forever recorded. Oh, my God. Really? I was like, I was astonished. I'm like, did you just not remember doing that? You know? So, yeah, I mean, that was just crazy times, you know. So we recorded the interview, and we put it out there so that later on we could go, uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and we, we can still do that. We can go, uh-huh, you know. But, um, yeah, you know, I think the, the thing that, um, out of all this craziness, you know, uh, Coleco came out pretty good, you know. Yeah. They did the yeah. right thing publicly and responsibly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it really sucks that... Uh, have you guys ever seen the, the documentary from the Earth to the Moon? I haven't. Oh, I go home and watch it. it uh, Tom Hanks did it shortly after he did Apollo 13, and it broke down each of the major Apollo missions and the development of like the lamb and all that. So before I go way off track, there's this one mission. It was Al Bean's mission to the moon where they literally come back from the moon. They land. They, they get released, and they walk outside to their matching Corvettes, and they take off. And he gives a speech. He goes, you know, of all the things that we brought, and he's a, you know, sort of a good old boy too. You know, he's, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was Louisiana or something, but you know, he's just, you know, sort of a plain spoken country boy. And he mm-hmm. says, you know, of all the things we took to the moon and all the things that we brought back, the most important things were my two best friends. You know, and it was like that. That was the vibe we had. You know, and uh, so for me in UK now to sit there and go, man, where's number three? What happened? It, it's a loss. It really yeah. is, you know. And, um, you know, we, we feel that loss, and we do, because there's, like I said, certainly a humanity there and all that, and and we just don't know what happened. I'm, I've had people ask us, you know, what happened? And we're like, I, 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 you know, yeah. what can you say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know we're, we're about out of time, but uh, I, I've really been wanting to know, do you know if the Toy Fair prototype, if that was all Mike's idea, um, so I think we, we kind of hit on that. And, and let me clarify that. When Mike asked me, how do you build something like that? I said, it's going to cost about this much, right? And when Clay Cowgill was asked, Clay said, it's going to cost about this much. And Mike said, well, what can we do for smoke and mirrors, right? His defense was, oh, you didn't really have a prototype. They just like had an existing processor running, existing OS, and all that, right? And he asked Clay, as Clay said, he asked me for smoke and mirrors, right? Um... Mike wanted to demonstrate, uh, you know, sort of a artist conception, you know, like something running the yeah. games. Yeah. The mistake was his claim that it was all the things that it was going to be that it was not yet. And, you know, my theory, my opinion, basically trying to bluff past the gatekeepers. Yeah. But got caught, you know, and that is... Uh, it could have been this. This thing could have been done. It could have succeeded. Yeah, and it, it's unfortunate that it, it didn't. It's unfortunate it went the way it went. You know, um, I think it's very possible this thing could have been sitting on a shelf, and it would have been a boutique project, as you said. Exactly. Yeah. But 
yeah, it could have happened, you know, and it's a, it's a darn shame it didn't. Yeah. And for, you know, I can speak for UK Mike, you know, for us, it's not just the, I mean, you know, the, the, the money invested in the company, whatever, you know, I mean, that's, you know, it's what it is. It's, you know, the loss of one of the three musketeers. You know? Yeah. 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 And, 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 um, that is not something we can just, you don't just go ah whatever, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, not something we would have chosen, you know? Yeah. 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 I recall looking at that prototype. I was like, I don't want to believe it, but like, I'm not an engineer by any means, but it's obviously oh, an engineer. You see a red flag, you, you realize. And I was like, know. I could have done a way better job of that. And I, I can barely use a soldering gun. Did, did I tell you what Chris said about that? No. Okay. Cause I, I, I couldn't remember if I did. So, okay. So, um, I asked Chris a question. I said, Chris. Man, come on. When you saw that thing, and I asked Ely the same thing. So I said, Ely, when you saw that, why didn't you go running out of the room screaming, it's a Stas and a Jack, it's a Stas and a Jack. <laughs> and, you know, he gave his answer, which I thought was fair, fair enough. I asked Chris Cardillo, I said, Chris, when you saw that thing, why didn't you go down to the CVS, buy a screwdriver, come back and say, open it? And Chris, very, just, he gave a wonderful answer. He said, well, first of all, I wouldn't know what I was looking at. Fair enough. And because, you know, in all this, people kept saying, I'm not a hardware guy, but. Well, I can say I'm a hardware guy, but I'm not, you know, a business guy. I'm not, you know, an artist. I'm not, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's many things I'm not. So uh, I, I, Chris Cardillo said, well, one, I wouldn't even know what I was looking at if the cover came off. And two, what if I falsely accused a business partner of something horrible because of internet rumors. I said, fair enough. You know, and that was his thinking at the time. So if you wonder, oh, Chris had to have been involved in it because he should have known. No, he didn't, you know, and it's unfair to beat him up about that. And that's why, like, you know, I said when Chris said to me, you know, geez, I feel like a fool. I was like, well, I gave the guy money. <laughs> so <laughs> how do you think I feel, you know? But yeah, I mean, so to any of the, the podcasters, YouTube channels, um, who gave honest, thoughtful speculation of a wrong, well, there's good reason why. So it's not a mark of shame. It's, you know. Uh, you live and learn kind of deal. Absolutely. Yep. So exactly. it, it kind of is what it is. Yeah. Well, I got one last question yeah, yeah, before man. we wrap it up. Sure. Um, do you think if the stars had aligned, Mike had pulled the long con and got all the funding he needed, do you think we, there would have been a, a Coleco Chameleon? Let me give a two-part answer to that. Okay. One, in all the craziness and all the things that were done, his original intent was absolutely to build a console. He never ever, and, and of all the things I could say about what he did, I will say this. He never intended to defraud the consumer. He didn't want to take money and not build a console. His goal. That's what I got out of it. And that's absolutely true. Now, would he, you know, step on anybody and everybody and burn every bridge to do it? Yes. But ultimately, he wanted to get that console into the hands of people and that be his, you know, thing, you know. And yeah. so part of my answer was his intent was to produce a console. Part B is if he had gotten, they, the entity, had gotten all that money, well, first, all the stakeholders that were involved in various companies, John Carlson was a stakeholder at one point, uh, that ended unfairly. Mm, all yeah. the stakeholders that, you know, us, and there were several uh, game gavel shareholders that were going to go, whoa, buddy, hold on. That was purchased under our watch. And we would have come out and addressed that legally. Yeah. Um, I think with the shifting sand of specifications, the lack of, you know, experience of who to go, like, where you can go get a board fab, you know, what's a bill of materials? What's pick and place? Terms you never heard of. I don't think it would have come to fruition. And it would have been one of those things where the money, and again, it's just purely my speculation, but I think the money would have kind of just, and the intent would have been there to build the console. But I think the stars would not have aligned for that to happen. I got you. The yeah. intent was there, but the competence and the lack of honesty yeah. just didn't allow it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think for all of us, you know, the takeaway is one, even when you're dealing with friends, if it comes to business, Get it in writing, you know, yeah. do a contract. 
because uh, I'm working on some stuff now with uh, some people that I, again I trust and I think are competent, and they're not just idea people; they're they're competent people. And I I said, look, all right, guys, I hate to bring this up, but you remember this whole thing? Yeah, we're gonna have to do this in writing, and everybody understood, hmm. and it's being done, documented in writing. And uh, I think that's just, it's a necessary evil. Even if, if someone's feelings are too hurt because you said, let's do this in writing, you don't you need to get involved. do business with that. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Well, thanks for coming on yes, and, and so giving much. us the, kind of the, the inside baseball story of all this. Yeah, I really and, appreciate it. And again, I, I definitely enjoyed you guys' coverage of this, you know. Um, thanks. And, you know, uh, 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 again, your intro, <laughs> priceless. <laughs> And that's how I always like, you know, uh, a couple of folks have linked to your stuff on Atari just where I found mm-hmm. you guys at. And I would, you know, listen to it. And, and again, I totally constantly cross up you and, and pick your gamer. But um, I, I like both your styles and, you know, the, the thoughtful content, you know. And um, but but that intro, every time I heard that, I was like, all right, start paddling. <laughs> you know? yeah, yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. So. We can't fight the redneck in us, so we got to embrace it. And yeah. Yeah, I was, you know, born and raised in Oxford, Mississippi, not too far away. Yeah. And, you know, so that was, I grew up in the same realm. You know, I just didn't pick up the accent. I, I don't know why. I can't oh. shake it for the life of me. I've tried so I've, many times you know, for everything. I don't know. Most of our listeners it, don't know this, but I went through a lot of speech therapy as a child. That's why I still stumble and stutter and slur a lot. So the speaking alone for me is difficult <laughs> enough, much less shaking this horrible accent. That makes me sound so ignorant. I just, I never had it. I, I don't know how to explain it because I remember I, I was sitting, I was probably eight, nine years old, and some, you know, elderly, you know, gentleman who had a very very strong southern accent yes well i was in a barber shop he was trying to say something to me i'm like i dude i got no idea i'm sorry <laughs> and i lived there I, I don't know what it was i mean my parents were from you know uh out of state yeah. but still you know you grew up in an area you, you should probably pick up the local accent but I, I i was born there but i guess i just never did for whatever reason that's kind of funny but um it's a blessing you know, <laughs> no, it's a bless. no, no. actually it's a, it's an advantage and uh there's a fellow who uh uh, I cannot remember who it is. He was associated with uh, gaming. And he has a very strong Southern accent. And he said, you know, there's this idea, this speculation that, oh, Southern accent, subtract 20 IQ, subtract 20 IQ points, right? And he goes, so I use that every time to eviscerate the competition. Oh, that is genius. <laughs> oh, I'm just a good old boy, just a simple person here to do this, that, and the other. And, Y'all need you know, a tractor loop? Like, <laughs> and next thing you know, he gets the better of the deal, man. So, you know, um, I don't even know what accent I have, if any. So, Well, guys, look, so I got, unfortunately, that thing we got to do. So, yep. um, again, a pleasure to be on your show. It's kind of uh, funny after guys. listening to it to, you know, show up here and talk. I really guys. appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's been so great. It's been great. Excellent. Cool. Well, thanks, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks. You. Y'all be sure to check out Retro Gaming Roundup. Yeah. And do all that stuff. And we will tell our listeners likewise. Please don't go. The drones need you. They look up to you.